Welcome to The Real Life Buyer. In this podcast, you will discover interviews with procurement and technical experts, business owners, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. These experts will help you to develop and grow, accelerate your career, improve your business, save money, and buy smart. Now introducing The Real Life Buyer, Dave Barr. Hello, and welcome to The Real Life Buyer. Miracle Properties Limited was founded in January 2019 by the couple Nana and Emily Piesi. I probably pronounced that very badly, but there we go. I've done my best. And it's a company that invests in UK real estate. Now, their journey began in August 2018 when they decided that real estate investment was a direction they wished to pursue. They prepared themselves for doing research and studied relevant courses about UK law, which I guess wasn't much fun, uh, regulations and, and various investment strategies. And they continued to obviously make sure they're up to date with latest changes. And they also receive advice and knowledge from their network of real estate investors and mentors. The twist here, though, is that these directors of this company are based in Sweden, not in the UK. So today, I'm delighted to welcome Nana onto the podcast to learn about their journey and discover and share their knowledge, tips, and techniques about real estate investment from afar. So hello, Nana, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, David. Thank you very much for having me. And what an intro you did there. That was really <laughs> nice. I couldn't even d- done it better. <laughs> you can always copy it. Uh, my royalties are quite low. <laughs> <laughs> No, but uh, th- this is fun, and I'm honored that uh, I have I can be here and discuss about this. I like talking about it because I'm like this: that if you put your mind to it, you can always do it. You know, you need there, there. You shouldn't have barriers. Yes, obviously, it's more difficult from from doing it from Sweden than being in the UK, but it's possible, especially in this day and age that yeah, we're living yeah. in. Yeah, well, that's great. And and so this is really interesting to me because you all see there are a lot of people who like to invest in real estate, but you tend to think of those people investing when they're with at least within the country or the area. So they know, you know, the, the properties, the good places, the bad places. But investing your own money from a long way away is quite a change, a bit of a difference. And that's why I thought this would be really interesting to see how on earth you go about that. So could you start by sort of telling the listeners about yourselves? Obviously, I know Emily isn't here today, but what did you decide to invest in property and renting, particularly in a different country? Yeah. So about ourselves. So me and Emily, we have two daughters. One is nine months. She actually started to walk this week. So it's very nice to be seeing that. Uh, And the eldest is soon four. So I work at Volvo company, uh, the car company. Emily does the same. She's an accountant by trade. Her mom is a, have an accounting firm as well. So it's I'm very blessed with having <laughs> accountants <laughs> close by so they can like give me tips and try to be tax efficient. Beside that, I, yeah, so when, when, we got the information that we were going to be parent, me and Emily. We were in, in the U.S. And I started to wandering around there, hiking in the hills, in the Hollywood Hills. And I think I need to do something because I don't want to be in my J-O-B till, till I'm 65. And I remember like my dad, he turned 
63 before he passed away so it's not it's not guaranteed so i i need to find something uh, that i want and i'm going to be a parent now it's time to grow up <laughs> 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 so it's not about me myself and etc and the people that i met during that uh, vacation then in the, in the us They all had like real estate, even if they were not heavy into real estate, they had a piece of real estate in their portfolio. So when I came back, I started to uh, learn more about it, read books, podcasts, YouTube, yeah, etc. And then I got this Facebook ads where it was uh, this rich dad, poor dad, Robert Kiyosaki, yeah. having an event here in Gothenburg. And I was like, okay. I told my friend, let's go and, and hear it out. We were there three hours and I got sold. I was like, I'm doing this. I called Emily and told her that, okay, we're doing this now. I bought the course, three three days, uh, two days uh, uh, education in Stockholm. And she was about Celine, how, because that time we have got Celine, she was like four months. Okay. How are we going to do? I'm, No worries. We give her to my my best lady friend. She can take care of her. And then in between breaks, you feed her, you breastfeed her, and then we go back. We're doing this. So no choice in the matter, right? Yeah, no choice. And she was like, okay, if you believe in it, I believe in it. Let's do, do it and try. Give it a try. And yeah. And since then, we've just gone straight ahead, uh, all in. And uh, obviously... What the course told us, it's not like that. It's not as easy as they said. Sure, of course, yeah, yeah. But it's doable. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so it's really, I say, I kind of understand that. Uh, and you can easily get whipped up by the excitement, the, I guess, the the show that's been put on by somebody like a, a big name like Robert Kiyosaki. Clearly, this, this guy knows his stuff. But you're in Sweden, and I would expect you to go and, think of Sweden to buy properties. So so why would you think, okay, I don't want to buy a property that's on my doorstep. I want to go to the UK when you've got France, Spain, Germany, Italy. You know, it, it it's kind of, it's a bit of a strange one for me. So why that choice? Yeah. So that choice, uh, why, why we didn't do it in Sweden? So Emily wanted to do it in Sweden, uh, I think it was a year back or something. But I was, I said no, to be honest. And then afterwards, when we were considering doing the UK, we we talked with some who several people that are doing it in Sweden and asking how they did it. And they said that, okay, if you did it maybe before the 08 crash, it was the, the finance was easier and banks were more willing to lend. But now it's much stricter. Plus the the regulation here in Sweden with tenants and etc it's on the tenant side so as a landlord it's very like let's say if you want to raise the rent there's a cap while in the UK you can raise it to how much you want and the market decide right. so so that's also an issue plus when i went to the this Uh, event uh, in Gothenburg here the, before I bought it. The things that you could do in the in the UK was mind blowing. You know, you could do. I, I don't want to go too deep with the strategies, but example like a lease option. That's when you lease the the property from the owner 
and then pay them in in some years. This stuff you cannot do it in Sweden because it will be classed as illegal. You you can't do like something like rent to rent where you you let's say you David is is the landlord. I come to you and say I'll give you a guarantee rent for three years and then I sublet it to new tenant or a new tenant and take the difference. Those stuff you cannot do in Sweden. So it's very, the, the market in UK is more mature. Yeah. Plus the distance from Sweden to UK, it's like one hour, two hours flight. So it's not so difficult if something would happen and we need to go there. So that was like the main point. Yeah. Finance, better, everything like this uh, that, that I mentioned before as well. Okay. So I guess places like France, you know, Brits tend to go and move to France and Spain for whatever reason. Was the language barrier, perhaps you're obviously very fluent in English. Is that the reason why you came to the UK as well, as opposed to them? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, like you mentioned, yeah, we're good in English, Swedish uh, people, uh, but we're not so good as you guys, obviously, because that's your native language, but learning to learn a Spanish language plus solicitor language in Spanish yeah, and yeah. all of this, even my friends that are from um, some of them from Uruguay and Chile, they say, and they live in Spain and they say, Oh, I don't even understand, you know, when they bought a property. So yeah, it's much easier to do it in the UK. Plus the person can explain then let's say, I, I don't understand this old English maybe. Yeah. So that's also a thing that you mentioned, the language barrier. Right. Okay. That's quite clear now. Okay. So let's get on to the nitty gritty then. And and you've (laughs) now decided to to invest in the good old uh, UK, but you've got to ask a series of questions clearly before deciding on a property. So what kind of process, checklist or evaluation do you do when you're trying to determine what kind of properties may be appropriate for you? Yeah. So as as you all the listeners are aware, and, and as I mentioned, I'm not from the UK from the beginning. So I needed to, first of all, understand what infrastructure, what are you building in the UK? What are the hotspots? So I looked at things like this HS2. Yeah. I looked at it. OK, which cities will this train go past? Where will like the growth be? Where will people move to? Try to make very uh, ca- normal, like person due diligence. Like, yeah. okay, I know that, example, we have a property in Leeds. So I know in Leeds, that's one of the three financial sector in the UK. So it's Leeds, Glasgow, and London. So obviously, there will always come finance jobs there and insurance and et cetera, et cetera. So I know that the demand, will always be, even if the, if it moves, the demand will be there, you know, the fundamentals. And then if if we go into like very deep, like let's say in the city uh, that I we're choosing to invest in, then I'm looking at, okay, is there a supermarket close? Is there a train station or a bus station close? Is there uh, close to schools? What is the crime rate? Then after all of this, um, like desktop analyzing, I call the letting agent 
like at least three and ask them, okay, what are the people saying? Uh, let's say if it's a new town that I'm into, I ask them, what, uh, where is the demand in this city? Where do people, which streets do people want to live in? Uh, when you, when someone come into you and ask, uh, do you have property here and there? And then if they're genuine, they help, they, they say, and then I just verified it with the computer on the desktop. And then, yeah, sometimes I even go, so if I don't know people in the city, I even go on a Facebook group, like what are happening in Leeds or you, you know what I mean? And ask, oh, is this a good area? I was considering moving to Leeds, uh, which area shouldn't I be in, uh, et cetera. And then get this verification from uh, the community there. And then I, pl I put plus, 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 and then that equals the result. Yeah, it's pretty smart. So you, obviously you're using a lot, as you say, social media, websites, rental companies on the ground. Do, do you say to these rental companies that you're a prospective tenant? Did you give them that impression or do you yeah. uh, say you're looking to sublet or something like that? Yeah, I give them that I'm, I'm either that I'm, I'm a potential tenant. Yeah. Or I say, uh, like I'm, I'm potential, I'm a potential landlord, and I'm looking to buy there, and right. I will use your services if uh, I'll buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would guess, just to, to be clear, that before you actually go down the road of handing money over, do you jump on a plane, or when we could just jump on a plane and fly? Would you go and verify it by putting your feet on the ground and actually walking the areas as well? No, I don't. No, never. <laughs> no. So, the, <laughs> so we bought uh, the first property we bought. We bought it on auction, and uh, it was first when we put it back on the market that I went over and just saw the property. But the property in Leeds, uh, the other one in Newcastle, we haven't been there. So, but we're still. <laughs> <laughs> That's extremely brave. Yeah. <laughs> I think even before I went and bought a property, uh, no matter for what I was going to use it for, but you know, you tend to go back uh, a few times, you know, and evaluate and measure up and, and see yeah. the conditions and, and awful. So, uh, wow, that's really is a a brave decision. Um, <laughs> it so was hard for Emily, but for me, I was like, <laughs> it's fine. We have people that go there and they're verified it. The solicitor have said we, we will go to a land register. It says our company. It's ours. It's okay. Uh, uh, I, I could do a dose of your optimism, I think. <laughs> I'm a bit more cautious. I'm on the Emily side of the scale. <laughs> yeah. hey, I'm a bit more cautious than that. But uh, here we go. <laughs> you, you mentioned finance a bit earlier on, and I quite interested to know how does somebody in Sweden get the necessary finance to consider buying a property in another country? So what kind of uh, steps did you have to take? Do you have to deal with UK banks, Swedish banks? How did you go about that? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's another thing, uh, like I mentioned, why UK is better with the finance. So in UK, you have like special lenders that that are into property. So they, they totally understand the business. They just go on the numbers. And if it's a good deal, it's a good deal. They take the deal. So while in Sweden here, you need to go to the, the banks, the high street banks, and then convince them that, that this is a good property. You have to show them the business plan, et cetera, how you're going to pay it off. While in UK, you can have like interest only loan and you don't need to pay it off and et cetera. Uh, so that, that's what I mean. That's 
UK, it's more mature, and Sweden, it's not. When it came to starting the uh, a UK bank lim- uh, company and uh, bank account, we got actually help from the, the course. But now afterwards, uh, as we have done another company, we have done it ourselves. So you just look at different uh, banks that take non-UK resident as their customers. And then obviously you have these checks that you need to show passport, proof of address, and you need to have it stamped because you guys in the UK love this stamp. (laughs) (laughs) While here in Sweden, we're like very far with the technology. So we use an app called uh, Bank ID. So you just go, you, you just put in your details there and then the the receiver get that you are verified that you are nana piece and then it's fine but yeah, yeah hopefully it will come to uk so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that that's how you open a bank right. account and yeah. then uh, you just go right okay we're just going to get some context around this the kind of properties you're looking to seek, are they tend to be for single people, for families, and therefore what kind of value of property are we talking about? What kind of loan criteria are we talking about? Yeah, so the the we we have single families, and then we uh, on the rent to rent we have these HMOs. So that's like I don't know if if your listeners are aware of the HMO. So it's people that are living. Uh, together three or f- or more people in a household and they have like separate rooms but they share a kitchen and bathroom it's quite popular to people that have left uh, uni yeah. or in uni yeah when it comes to getting loan it's usually as we are foreigners we get uh, we can get up to 75% uh, loan to value so we need to find or have 25 percent deposit to put it in and uh, the rates that we go and in the beginning like the first uh, one to two years it's quite high we get around uh, between five to seven percent but after they have seen that you're serious and you're not no scam uh, the the rate go down to around four percent maybe if you're lucky three percent while you people that are from the UK can get rates from two to 3%. So obviously it's better cash flow for you guys, but that's something it's either that, or like I mentioned, you go to Sweden and try to fight with the banks and convince them. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just getting an idea of the size of the property here. So you're talking about sort of um, single parent families. So that could be two or three bedroom properties, I guess. But then when you're talking the HMO, one assumes that's going to be could be a fairly large property uh, that's been converted to house, let's say, four properties within it. Would that be a right way of thinking about it? Uh, no. So, like the one where have, we have the nine beds, uh, nine HMO. bedrooms. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it's nine bedrooms, and it's all in suite. So all of them have their like uh, bathroom, um, bathrooms in, and kitchen yeah, and such. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Not, not they share the kitchen, but uh, right. the bathroom they have them themselves. So that I think that was a former six bed. So it's former six bed. So it's it, it's a quite big uh, house. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. three floor, three stores. 
yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, that uh, and you've got a number of properties, obviously. So that's it's still a fair amount with a twenty five percent deposit. That's quite a lot of money to find. So yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about some of the risks here. We've got risks of the tenants, as an example, where they could yeah. default on their payments and they could uh, decide to squat, as we call it in the UK, decide not to leave the property. Uh, yeah. How do you overcome that kind of risk, or is that something you've just got to live with? Yeah. So there, there's a risk. You can you can uh, safeguard it how much you want, but there's al- always a, a risk. So what we do is when we put in tenants, we tell the letting agent or the person that we're working with that they need to ha- tell the tenant to sign a guarantor. So usually it should be maybe the parent or something. Then the guarantor knows if they default, they will need to pay. And obviously, majority of people don't want to default. So that that's way that's a one way of doing it. Uh, obviously, it can still happen that the default and you need to do go to court and etc. At the moment, that haven't happened, but that's how we try to mitigate our risk while doing. And I see some people that don't even do it to have a guarantor, and then it happens, and then they're in yeah. the yeah problems. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the one side is obviously the people. And the building itself. So as you said, you've not actually physically seen some of these properties. You're reliant on others. So let's say you you buy a property, but it needs some renovation works. I don't know if you've had to experience that, or do you do you go for a, you know a fairly pristine property? Which, which which the two? Do you go for renovation a little bit more, or do yeah. you make sure it's your renovation? Okay, so that means you've got to employ contractors. Yeah. How do you make sure you deal with uh, or the people that represent you at least? Deal with contractors that you know uh, are not some kind of fly-by-night outfit, that they do what they say they're going to do, and they keep within the budget you've agreed. Yeah. So like my mentor said, trust but verify. So we we live by that vo- uh, motto. So what we do, let's say, I usually try to reach out in the community uh, that I'm in and ask, okay, which builder is good or uh, building team is good, and then have like a the conversation with them and then i have a have someone that's outside that have no relationship to the builder or to me or sometimes if they have a relationship to me then they just go and verify what the building team is doing and which we just pay them after they have done their job so if they haven't done the job that they're saying in stages because we have like a schedule of works yeah and if they haven't done it correctly then we say okay you won't get paid before you have done this so that's how we we mitigate it yeah okay because there's always at the end of uh, some works you'll arrange for somebody somebody to go in that you trust that will yeah. look at what we would call a snagging list so what things exactly. aren't quite right that they make sure they put uh, in the right condition before you yes. hand over your money Okay. Exactly. Okay. It's still quite scary for me. <laughs> You're doing all this remotely. So <laughs> there we go. It, it's a lot of, I, I agree with you, David. It's a lot of trust. Yeah. You, you, you need to trust people. It's true. Yeah. You need to, but if, if you don't trust people, then it's very hard. You need to yeah. do it yourself. Well, but so I you, try to believe that 
people in general is good people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right. Uh, I think the key thing here is that you also have a process. You have uh, you have some good due diligence, and that's the thing that people have to remember. You, you are taking risks, but you're trying to mitigate those as much as possible yes. by doing some very sensible things and dealing with reputable companies and people. Yes, um, exactly. So you may pay a little bit more for that, but the peace of mind you get back is is worth every penny. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. You, you, say, you said it so good. <laughs> <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> I try. I try. I, I've been playing with uh, Pertzing for a long time, so I can talk a lot of waffle. <laughs> okay. So out of all this uh, hard work, effort, and nervousness, I'm, I'm nervous, uh, let's uh, say what kind of return are you expecting on your investments and in what kind of time period would you think that's um, a, good, a good prospect, a good result? So the return, the minimum criteria uh, me and Emily have put in is uh, a return on investment of uh, around 14%. Sometimes it's different, sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. Because uh, like I mentioned, let's say if you're in a good street or area and the return on investment maybe is 9%, but you know the capital growth, that it will grow a lot in the coming years will exceed that then we go in because we you you can never i know some some investors or uh property investors they calculate the capital growth in their spreadsheets but we don't do it because that's something that we cannot decide you know we don't know how how i mean like last year 15% growth in the uk with uh, the property market who knew that yeah. So how can you how can you factor in that in your spreadsheets? So we mm. just go on the rent, how long it will take to get our money back by doing it by the rent, like the rental income minus all of the expenses that we have. And if it's around 10%, 14%, uh, we go ahead. And if it's less, we we keep tight yeah, <laughs> or yeah. negotiate harder. harder. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, and you, you touched on something there, which is what I was going to move on to, is the property market. And that can be quite what we would call fickle. It, it's, uh, you know, is affected so heavily by outside factors. And as you rightly say, who would have in the time of COVID expected there to be a huge growth? It's quite crazy, really, in some ways. Yeah. Um, so do you have any insights? You mentioned mentors and other people that you deal with. Do you have any kind of feelings of how the market may develop in the next few years? So the, the property investor community, we have this um, uh, chart that we follow called, called the 18 property, 18 years property cycle. Right. So it means that from start to bust. So from here to there. It's 18 between. Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's uh, more. And they are saying that we are now in the beginning of the growth phase. So we're going here. And during the growth phase, it should be like between uh, one to three years. Yeah. But as I mentioned, it can differ. So people are considering that the crash will come around 2026, 2025, 2027, around there. And then 
will then go again the growth phase. Okay. So, so that, that's, that's what people yeah. are saying. But what I'm saying is that as long as you know that you have a good deal and you don't over leverage, because that's what people did in the 08, even if I wasn't doing it, but it was just madness when you see uh, some of the films like Big Short, people are taking 100% or 105% loan to value. And then, yeah, yeah, the market was still... Go up, up, up. Yeah, we we won't. Our goal is to the whole portfolio to maybe go down to 60%. And even if if it crash, the lenders won't come and call in the loan. Yeah, yeah. And you've obviously been smart in the way you're thinking about these locations. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned HS2 as an example. And as long as that does get built in the uh, in the way they're saying <laughs> yeah. it, who knows? <laughs> Jury's still out, perhaps. Um, yeah. In theory, they're in areas that are going still to uh, grow uh, because of the investment in the infrastructure that is within that place. So the the wealth in the areas should, in itself you know, prop things up, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you've got, I think it's, was it four properties you have at the, have at the moment? Is that right? So we, let, uh, let me, Aliyah, uh, no, five. Five now. Okay. Yeah. And what's your ambitions then for the next 10 years? Um, my ambition is <laughs> to start doing um, like building skyscrapers. <laughs> That's my uh, when I was uh, was a kid. I always wanted to like. I love skyscrapers. Right. So when I went to New York when I was young, uh, in my early twenties, I'm like, <sighs> so I, I want to build one of those. And then you know, I, Donald I don't, Trump here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to be that big. Uh, for me, to be honest, the most important thing is that I can choose my time. That B and Emily can choose if we want to just take the day off. Etc. As long as we're stuck at Volvo or in our JOB, uh, you always need to uh, ask permission and etc. So yeah, that's, that's my cool. main goal. That's my yeah. main goal. Yeah. Then yeah, obviously, just... if I can build skyscrapers, why not? <laughs> Indeed. So you know, you're you're obviously going to look at the sort of a gradual growth in your portfolio. Perhaps one or two properties a year, bearing in mind obviously your family um, implications. So it's to buy a life as opposed to just earn money, I guess. Yes, exactly. Okay. Now, one of the things I noticed on your website is that you welcome external investment. So what are you able to offer to such investors and why should they invest their money with you over perhaps other opportunities? Yeah, so... Uh, let me start with uh, the first question. So why they should invest with us is because let's say if people want to have a alternative for the stocks or whatever investment they're doing, maybe crypto, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And people know, like my dad said, things that won't go away in our life is shelter and food. And those two things went up the roof during the pandemic and it will always be like that. So, and I think people understand real estate. It's an easy business to understand and just tell them I'm buying this. Uh, this is physical. Here it is. If you want, you can go and check it out. While with a stock market is just stocks and 
Elon Musk can tweet something and then it just go down. Absolutely. <laughs> or <yeah>. go up. <laughs> <laughs> While with property, it's more like it doesn't, it's not so uh, volatile yeah. like uh, other other investments. So that's that's only like my pitch, if yeah. you if you if you say so. And if they want uh, me and Emily as a couple, we're genuine, we're honest. And we try to match the normal stock market when it's around six to eight percent annually. And basically, you you have the security of that the the money is in a in a property. Yeah, yeah. And what would you say would be a a typical investment of other people with yourselves? How much were you talking about here? So, uh, the biggest investor we have uh, have put in around two hundred thousand k is that in gbp e- yeah yeah, yeah exactly. english pounds yeah in pounds yeah. yeah english pounds sorry yeah so that's what and this person is setting off because of the pension she's she's a pensioner now and uh, don't want to have the money in stocks or in a saving because she's aware of that inflation is eating up your money and I mean, like in you in the UK, the inflation is almost six percent. So yeah. that's buying power is very low. And in Sweden, it's four point something. Uh, so mm-hmm. just to have a hedge uh, against it, that's that's why uh, she invested. And I yeah. think when people understand that 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 inflation and etc., then they start okay. I can't have my money in the saving account like before, maybe for. 20, 30 years, you, you got an interest rate of maybe 3 or 4%, but those times are over. So that's why I think people are seeking to more alternative investments. Yeah, yeah. So just for me, let's make the, the maths easy. Let's say I was going to walk into you and say, here's 100,000 I'm interested in investing. When you receive that, obviously you receive that money, what do I get? What guarantees do I get? And how do you go about paying me the returns on that investment? Yeah. So let's say if you come, like you mentioned, hundred thousand, I would, I could tell you, okay, what will make you feel secure? And then if you tell me, uh, I would like to have a charge on the property. So then we will put a charge on land register where it says like David Barr uh, has a charge on this, has first charge on this property. So if anything happens, they will need to contact you. Or maybe you say, okay, I would like to have a charge on the company. Then we put that in in the in the contract. So then you have a charge on the company. And then it all depends how we want to structure it. That, okay, till I get paid, let's say if you default, till I get paid, I will get all of the rental income or you need to sell the house. Or it's, it's always negotiable because we're like, there's nothing black or white because it's always, it depends what the investor want and then it depends if we can meet meet the the demand that the investor makes and when it comes to payouts we usually do it annually so after a year we we pay the tax uh for you already so you don't need to think about that and then you just get it in your bank account and then if the uh, if the if the tax officer come and ask where do you have this paper you just show them the control number that we have paid the tax for you okay okay 
That's good to know. So I spent there's a lot of people interested in about this. You probably uh, sparked a lot of interest. <laughs> so uh, before I go into my final question, how do people find out more about yourself? They discover about what you do, your work, and how you progress as well going forwards. So I think the easiest thing will be like, follow our website or social media because we put up a lot of stuff there like the progress of of the projects that we're doing and they can we have this calendly link where they can just book in a meeting quick 30 minutes just to get to know each other and see if we can either help you do it yourself or maybe invest with us uh, we're always happy to help people and yeah mm. that, that's what i think yeah, so so just to make sure it's clear to people now, you have a website, and if I understand that right, it's called Miracle Properties Limited, spelled ltd.com. Okay. Exactly. Yep, so that's the main website, but you're also present on quite a few social media channels. So Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, I think are all are all places that you regularly post. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So just... If you just go to the website, you'll find all of the links that, yeah. that you mentioned and you just decide which one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is your favorite. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So I said, I think we've we've probably sparked a lot of interest in this, particularly those people who are nervous about investing in property and they are within the country. To hear that you're doing this from outside the country, I think could encourage lots of people to dip their toe in the water, should we say. So for, for kind of wannabe budding property investors, what would be your top tips before starting out on this interesting adventure? And what kind of things would you suggest they should be doing, let's say, for the first year or two? So the first year, I would uh, get so much knowledge. And if you have the ability to pay for uh, a mentor or something, do it. But please check who the mentor is because it's so many scammers. I'm not gonna sit here and lie and say this industry is is rosy because it isn't. It's a lot of scammers who's taking uh, advantage of people's hard-earned money. So you need to do your due diligence on the people and stuff like, can I see your portfolio? Can I visit it? And if they like say no and etc. That's a red flag because, I mean, if, if you're doing it, you shouldn't be able to, you shouldn't have any problems, people like showing it. And this is something that we did when we were in the UK. We went on a course and Emily asked very Swedish, like, yeah, and how do we know <laughs> that you're doing what you're doing? And he didn't get offended, the guy. He was like, oh, that's a valid question. Okay. Yeah. He, he took up his phone. And show him the properties that he had, the conversation from solicitors, etc. And then he even went so far and showed his bank account for all of the 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 rent that was coming right. in and back. And was like, "Is this good enough? Or do you want to go on a site visit as well? We can go on a site visit." And you know, then she felt dumb. She just got red in her face and. People started to laugh, you know, and she was like, I had to ask. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should always ask because I'm teaching you something and you want to know if I'm doing what I'm teaching. And obviously, so that, that's my, uh, if you don't, if you don't have the funds to get a mentor, at least read books, podcasts, because there's so much free information out there in this day and age. 
And that's how we did. We we read a book. Even we even if we went to mentors, we still read books and went on courses. So do that. And then you need to decide which area you want to go. Do you want to be in the area that you live in? Or do you want to, like us, do a distance? Uh, the more north you go, obviously, the more cheaper it is. And decide and make a plan. And what, what do you really want? Why do you want to jump into property? Because it's a lot of, it can be lonely sometimes. And you need to have a great mindset because it ain't fast, <laughs> first of all. And it's a lot of hiccups before you get the, the reward. But yeah. it's, you can do it. You can do it. Yeah, some good points. And I think exactly how Emily put it, that if anybody is a genuine person, they're doing the things they say they do, they should not feel threatened in any way, shape or form by asking sensible questions. In fact, if you didn't, they probably think you were crazy. Um, So, you know, she might have been embarrassed, but at least she's embarrassed with the money in her pocket. Exactly. So so, uh, out of curiosity, is there a particular lesson you'd say uh, from experience of what not to do or have you been lucky oh there's there's a lot of experience but i can i can choose one uh, experience that like we, we like i mentioned we did the course we read books and etc but yet uh we stumbled up on this one we bought our, our property our first property that we bought it was uh on the auction like i mentioned and we it was already done it was done up already so it was just back on the market but we wasn't aware that in the UK, the banks have like a unwritten law after the 08 crash that you need to be on the register on the, on the, prop, on the property for six months before you transfer it to someone else. Oh, okay. We I didn't realize didn't, that. Yeah. So we get an offer accepted after two months. We were happy. Yeah, this went quick. <laughs> Quick turnaround, three months, and then we we've already profited, etc. And we went through uh, the the solicitor, all of this, you know. And then they just pulled out, and we're like, "Why did it pull out?" They didn't say. But then, obviously, a friend of us that's in the UK told us we have this six months rule. Not all the banks have it, but majority of the banks use it. So what happened? We got down and we were, you know, oh, no, we won't sell the house. We were lucky two weeks after another person came. And then, yeah, we closed, we sold the house exactly six months from where we bought it. So wow. that was a lesson that we learned. And it could have been a very expensive lesson if we took like this bridging finance. Because yeah. then you're paying every month. Now we bought it with cash uh, with from my invest, investor, but that's something that could have been very expensive for us. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great lesson. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I found Thank this you. absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Thanks very much for that. I could talk to you all day on this, but uh, we can't. So uh, yeah, all I can say is have a great day. It's lovely and sunny here in the UK. Hopefully you've got the same in Sweden. No. No? Oh, well, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for the for a great podcast, Dana. And hopefully I'll look forward to speaking to you again sometime. Yes. Thank you for having me. This was very nice and I'm very delightful. I hope the listeners got anything out of it. <laughs> I'm sure they did, mate. You take care. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. Bye. 
So there's another Real Life Buyer podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it and it's given you some ideas and inspiration for greater action and achievement. If you are a purchasing or a supply chain professional, business owner or director, come and join my Facebook group, the Purchasing and Supply Chain Community Hub, a safe place to engage with like-minded, friendly people. See you soon. Bye.